0: Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth.
1: And I'm Remy. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history books ignore.
0: From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity.
1: What are we talking about today?
0: We are going to go into a few of the murders that has happened on the Appalachian Trail.
1: Ah, uh, runs right through a neighboring town of ours. Uh, does it? Yeah, it runs through our hometown as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to say the Creeper Trail actually leads to the Appalachian Trail, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken about that. Oh, I, don't know.
1: I was thinking. I'm not a trail person, so I don't know. I knew there was one going through the town of Abingdon and one going through Damascus.
0: Yeah. The creeper d- Trail goes through Damascus.
1: And the one in Abingdon?
0: Yes. I want to say the Creeper Trail definitely leads to the Appalachian Trail because I read a book about the Appalachian Trail and someone who was hiking it a long time ago, and they ended up in Damascus on the Creeper Trail.
1: Okay. And so, it's not likely to be the one across the seas. Yeah. So... <laughs>
0: And this isn't even all of the murders that has happened on the Appalachian Trail. It's just what I had time for. So there may be a second part eventually at some point. It's not scheduled at the moment, but I'm also going to start doing this thing where I make you spin this wheel that I made with all the ideas of episodes.
1: Oh, goody. I've always wanted to be on Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) Yeah. Wheel of Misfortune.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should have named it that. Okay. Some interesting facts about the Appalachian Trail before we go into the murdering part.
1: I bet it's in Appalachia.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Have
1: I foiled your fax plan now?
0: No, no. No. It runs from Georgia to Maine. It's about 2,190 miles through 14 states.
1: I most certainly will not be walking that trail.
0: Not many people. There are some people that go hike the whole thing. And there was a percentage that i seen that told that, but I didn't put that in the notes, so I don't know what is. Cool. Anyway, it goes through Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine.
1: That's quite a uh, trail. Mm-hmm.
0: There's two to three million people that hike and camp along the Appalachian Trail every year. It's said, don't know if it's true, but it's said that it is the longest trail in the world.
1: I have no way of verifying that other than Google. And I think we have more important things to talk about. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so take that one with a grain of salt. I don't know. In 1921... They came up with the idea for the Appalachian Trail for the first time. In 1937, the trail was completed.
1: That took some time.
0: Yeah. Well, it is a very long trail. It is maintained by 31 trail clubs and multiple partnerships, which are managed by the National Park Services and Appalachian Trail Conservancy, the ATC, and NPS which is National Park Services and Appalachian Trail Conservancy, say heart attacks and other health-related issues are the leading cause of death on the trail. Other causes would include drowning, untreated tick-borne illnesses, hypothermia, dehydration, lightning strikes, and falling trees.
1: I can see the heart attacks and the ticks. Hmm. The falling trees also. Some of them, lightning strikes seemed unfortunate.
0: <laughs> I can see the dehydration.
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot you about You forget that to drink water. Where you
0: run out of your... (laughs) Water. You either run out of water or the little tablets to sanitize it.
1: And you're just afraid to get cholera. I would be. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to poop themselves to death.
0: Now we're actually going to go into the murders on the Appalachian Trail. Ronald Sanchez Jr. was from Oklahoma. He was an Iraq War veteran. How do you say that?
1: Iraq War veteran. That's how you say it.
0: Okay. He was 43 years old, and on May 10th, 2019, Ronald reached Southwest Virginia. With County, Virginia is where that's at, specifically. This is where he encountered James L. Jordan. James Jordan was 32 years old, and he stabbed Sanchez, causing Sanchez's death. He also seriously wounded another hiker. Oh, no. It was considered one of the worst episodes of violence in the Appalachian Trail's history.
1: It sounds a bit mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. James was charged with murder and found not guilty by reason of insanity. Hold on. I am going to show you that. Now, if you can see it, doesn't he look like a good outstanding citizen?
1: I've been to trail days a couple of times at Damascus when all the hikers and all the trailing things. I have seen people with a look like that. So I wouldn't be too surprised if I found someone like that on a trail.
0: That is true. Another thing about, for the, those who don't know, the trail days in Damascus is when the hikers gather and there's this festival and they had to stop this, but they used to have it where locals would throw water balloons at the hikers to bathe them because you're hiking. There's no showers along the way usually, I'm assuming. Uh huh. And they had to stop that because people started... I don't know if they froze the water in the balloons or if they started putting rocks and stuff in the balloons.
1: Some people didn't like the hikers.
0: Yeah, and so they had to stop that part. Also, didn't they have an accident where somebody drove over some people?
1: I don't know if it was actually an accident or not. but Somebody did drive over some folks, yeah.
0: Just interesting little tragic things. Trail days is actually kind of fun. I've been a couple times. Back to what we were talking about, the New York Times article said prosecutions expert concluded that Jordan suffered from severe psychiatric illness that features psychosis and mood disorder. Experts from both sides agreed at the time of the attack that James could not appreciate the nature and quality of his actions. And both sides lawyers agreed to this as well. Therefore, he met the legal standards for insanity.
1: Okay. well, there isn't much argument there.
0: Yeah. Weeks before the attack, James had been threatening hikers in Unicoi County, Tennessee. The hikers shared photos of him and his description after he waved a knife and axe at them at a shelter. Part of the trail that veers into Wythe County, Virginia, Jordan threatened to pour gas on four hikers' tents and then burn them to death.
1: The man was disturbed.
0: Yes, which is sad, but it's even more sad for the victims. And I think they were actually trying to find him at that time. But I don't think they found him until after. Obviously, yeah. He also threatened them with a long knife, though.
1: He was just out to get them in one way or
0: another. He was out to get everybody. He chased and stabbed a woman until she played dead, which is about the time he left to find his dog, which gave the woman the perfect opportunity to find other hikers who helped her hike six miles to safety after being stabbed.
1: This is like a nightmare scenario on the trail.
0: Yeah. Law enforcement followed an emergency signal sent from a hiker's GPS device. And they stopped to talk to hikers, and that's when James's dog walked over to them and then led them to Jordan, who was standing about 30 yards away. And that's how he got caught. Of course. The doggy. Good old puppers.
1: (laughs) I hope the dog's okay. Yeah,
0: me too. Uh, Hopefully he got the mental health help that he needed. I want to say that they were going to put him in a hospital to give him the help he needed.
1: Been proven a criminally insane person, then yeah, Yeah. they have to.
0: (laughs) But he was released, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's the same one. He was released a while back. And obviously the people were commenting on it, saying that, oh, great, he can get out. It was a Facebook thing. Like you could find it all over Facebook at the time it happened. I want to say I remember when that happened. I do too. And people were saying, oh, great, he can get out and kill again, which I understand. But hopefully he got proper help he needed while he was there and it won't happen. Now we're going to talk about Scott Lilly. This one's a little bit shorter. The incident was located in Cow Camp Gap Shelter in Virginia. It happened in August 2011, August 12th to be precise, on a Friday. A group of hikers found a dead body lying in a shallow grave. FBI Special Agent Steve Duanis, he was the lead investigator. The body was identified as Scott A. Lilly, who was 30 years old and from Indiana. He was likely to have been deceased for about 12 days before his body was found. And on June 31st was the last time that anybody had seen or heard from him. His cause of death was found to be asphyxia by suffocation and ruled as a homicide. And the reason there's not much to this case is because it remains unsolved.
1: Oh, dear. Someone suffocated him on the trail, and then they're gone. Yep. So somewhere out there, somebody's just living their life as a murderer.
0: Yeah. And this happened in 2011. They're still out there, probably.
1: As of now, it's like 12 years ago.
0: hmm Louise, <laughs> okay. um, Louise Chaput. Okay. <laughs> Louise Um Is that how you pronounce C-H-A-P-U-T? It's a Canadian name.
1: I'm pretty sure it's a pronunciation in, uh Try without the T at the end. Say it without the T.
0: Louise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Never mind. <laughs>
0: Louise Chaput. <laughs> <laughs> Louise Chaput. Or Louise Chaput. Louise Chaput. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, and I am so, so, so sorry if I got that wrong. But we certainly
1: it, got that wrong, and I will not be pronouncing it at all. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get it. I'm just gonna say at.
0: Louise 'cause I'm just going to say
1: Louise because I don't know. Wait, if it's a... Uh, Louie. It's a girl. Oh.
0: She was from Quebec, Canada and was 52 years old. And she would sometimes hike with someone, but she would also hike for days by herself.
1: I'm guessing they didn't go well one day.
0: No. The location that this happened was Lost Pond Trail in New Hampshire. On November 15, 2001, at about 3 p.m., she was last seen at the Appalachian Mountain Club Visitor Center. The clerk had recommended the Lost Pond Trail And Louise left just a few minutes after that encounter. November 19th, 2001, her partner reported her missing when she didn't come home. Authorities began a search, and on November 20th, her silver Ford Focus was found at the Glen Falls parking area. On November 22nd, her body was found about 200 yards from the Glen Boulder Trail, which is about a quarter mile from the lodge that led to Mount Isolation.
1: That's a... Terrible place to visit, I bet.
0: Well, it's believed that she chose that trail instead of the one that was recommended by the clerk. The autopsy confirmed homicide as the cause of death. She had multiple stab wounds, and this case also remains unsolved. Another thing to mention is it may sound like a lot of deaths, but statistically you're more likely to die on the drive to the trail than actually be murdered on the trail.
1: Yeah, It just sounds a whole lot scarier knowing you're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's one of the few occasions where people can meet other people, but it is so far away from civilization. Yeah. It ain't like just walking yourself out into a remote area where you're alone. It is walking in a remote area where you're alone most of the time, but you know you will find somebody eventually. Yeah, And that's a coin flip of who you're going to run into there.
0: Yeah. Geoffrey, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. I'm going to say Geoffrey. Hood, and Molly LaRue. Again, sorry if I got that name wrong. They met at a church-sponsored program for vulnerable young women. Sorry, people, not women. People in general. They decided to hike the Appalachian Trail together for six months. On June 4th, 1990, they started their hike in Maine. September 13th, in the early morning, the couple was attacked while sleeping. Jeffrey was shot three times with a twenty-two caliber pistol to the head, back, and abdomen. Forensic evidence found that Molly was tied with rope looped around her neck before being raped and stabbed to death. Hikers Cindy and Brian Bowman found Molly and Jeffrey later that day. Molly was face down in a pool of her own blood, and Jeffrey was partially naked with a white shirt in his hand. A man had been seen in the area carrying two red gym bags, wearing jeans and work boots, and was described as looking like he did not belong on the trail. I don't know what they meant by that, but that's what they said. September 21st, two hikers saw another hiker that was wearing Jeffrey's boots and backpack. They reported him, and as he tried to cross Harper's Ferry in West Virginia, he was apprehended at about 8 p.m. And it was confirmed it was Jeffrey's boots and backpack and Jeffrey's watch that he was wearing.
1: Wow, not a very good murderer.
0: No. When questioned, he said that his name was David Casey Horn. Oh,
1: we think that's funny because we know one.
0: <laughs> from Loris, South Carolina, which this was a lie. His real name was Paul David Cruz. He was an ex-Marine. There was a warrant out for his arrest in Florida. He had been on Florida's most wanted list since 1986 for a murder he committed in, it says Bartow, but I think it was Bartlow. I don't know.
1: So it's hard to tell how many he actually murdered on the trails. Yes. I've always heard that's like the perfect place to hide.
0: Yeah, that's probably why they're here. It was said by his ex-wife that he exhibited strange behavior since his discharge from the military. In 1977 in Indiana, he climbed behind her in bed and held a bayonet to her throat. I wonder why. She divorced him later. I can see that. Yeah. I think maybe it was just what he's seen. Maybe, Maybe it was like a post-traumatic stress thing. I really don't know. Because she said he started exhibiting the strange behavior after he was discharged. From the military.
1: Yeah. So it's hard to tell how they'll handle that in court, isn't it? Yeah.
0: July 3rd, 1986, authorities were sure he killed a woman who he gave a ride to. On July 7th, they charged him with her murder, but his brother in North Carolina helped him escape. Crew's DNA was linked to the semen found on Molly's body, and that meant that authorities had a strong case against him due to this and the weapons and other evidence that they found at the crime scene. Yeah. May 15th, 1991... At the trial, he blamed cocaine and alcohol for his behavior.
1: I would have claimed insanity. Yeah. I guess some people don't see themselves. If he was acting that way before he murdered folks, that might should be looked into.
0: Yeah. The prosecutor gave evidence that showed the gun found on Cruz test fired to match bullets removed from Jeffrey's body. He was found guilty on two counts of first degree murder and given two death sentences. Ah. 2006 Cruz agreed to drop his appeals in exchange for two life sentences without the possibility of parole.
1: Okay. I mean, that's better than death penalty for some.
0: Yeah. Now we're going to Robert Mountford Jr. and Laura Susan Ramsey.
1: I like that last name. Mm
0: -hmm. Laura was 27 years old, as well as Robert was 27 years old. They were social workers from Maine. The trip was to raise money for a school of mentally challenged children in Maine.
1: Now, they hiked the trails to raise money?
0: Yep. Seems that way. Cool. I don't know how that worked, but yeah.
1: No, no idea. May nineteenth,
0: nineteen eighty one, they were staying at Wapiti Shelter in Giles, Virginia. Robert was shot in the head with a twenty two caliber pistol, and Laura was bludgeoned with a piece of iron and stabbed repeatedly with a knife and long nail. That's why violent. does it seem like the women are like men seem to be getting shot. It seems a little bit faster, and then women get these horrific beat with iron, stabbed repeatedly. I have
1: no idea. I just assume this person sees them as someone who put up a more of a fight, and so they shot them.
0: Hmm. Their bodies were placed in their sleeping bags, and they were buried. The killer, Randall Lee Smith, was arrested after fingerprints found on the inside of Laura's novels.
1: He went through the books?
0: He apparently went through her paperback novels, and his fingerprints was on one of the inside of one.
1: Huh. Novel reading was a case for get you... Hospitalized back in the day.
0: Yep. Investigators found a note claiming he had been abducted by two people and that they were going to kill him when they searched his home. He was tracked down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by being tricked by the police into identifying himself.
1: How did that happen, I wonder?
0: They told him the bug bites on his body were serious and that he needed medical attention and he had to sign his name at the hospital, which identified him.
1: Tricky, tricky. Mm
0: -hmm. While in custody, he exhibited... Disassociative behavior, I think is how that's said. He acted as if he had forgotten everything from his past, but psychiatric testing proved that he was faking that.
1: So he had time to plan his amnesia.
0: Mm-hmm. Apparently not very well. Mm. He was taken back to Virginia and charged with two counts of murder. On the day before the trial, Smith accepted a plea bargain in which he would plead guilty to two counts of second-degree murder in exchange for 30 years in prison.
1: Wow. 30 years is a long time, but it doesn't seem like a lot compared to our life.
0: He, yeah, he killed two people. He bludgeoned and stabbed that woman. Not, I'm sure he probably used a knife, but it also said a long nail. In 1996, 15 years into his sentence, he was released on mandatory parole for good behavior.
1: Mandatory?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: He's like, we cannot have you no more. Be gone.
0: I feel like there's probably people that had a lot less worse crimes that could have.
1: Empty the cells.
0: Yeah. The victim's families were not happy about this, obviously. Yeah. He returned to Ingram to live with his mother and wore an electronic monitoring inklet as part of the 10 years okay. supervision. The why and how this happened? The prosecutor and acquaintance of Smith's came up with the theory that Smith's inexperience with women became romantically obsessed with Laura When she was friendly with him, when they had met at a store along the trail, and he attempted to flirt with her but was interrupted by Robert, so he followed them to their camp and killed them.
1: That's the natural thing to do, apparently, for some people.
0: He made efforts to conceal the evidence of the murders, so he knew.
1: It was bad. Yeah,
0: he knew. He traveled along the trail to remove logbooks with details of Robert and Laura from the multiple shelters.
1: How did he manage that, I wonder? Just mark their names out, that wouldn't be obvious.
0: Took the whole logbook, I don't know. I don't know how that works. They had been seen with Smith and he told hikers that he knew what happened to them as well. So he was not very bright.
1: I want to erase all evidence of this, but nobody will know <laughs> if I tell them.
0: Yeah. And now we're going to Janice Balza or Balza. I can tell you one thing. I don't much care for Smith's personality and what he did, but I sure do like his name.
1: We're not blaming these people for having hard-to-pronounce names for some folks.
0: Yeah. She was 22 years old and from Madison, Wisconsin. And the location of this murder was in Tennessee on Iron Mountain Shelter. The date was in April 1975. She was attacked with a hatchet. Oh, no. Again, Uh, female. Attacked with a hatchet, not shot. I guess it makes sense to have a hatchet
1: on the trail. So
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: The weapon at hand. Now, why some man had a nail and a board...
0: I'm wondering, well, an iron rod. I wonder if he had the nail on him at the time or if he, like, maybe got it from one of the shelters. Paul Bigley was the one who attacked her with a hatchet. He was 51 years old from Tuscan, Arizona. He was a former mental patient. Tennessee authorities said that Bigley surrendered to the Carter County Sheriff after calling in a nearby house owned by Mrs. Ethel Whitehead. He confessed that he killed Janice while she sat near his campfire at the shelter. The murder weapon was found and recovered near the shelter. And you want to hear the motive? What? He desired her backpack.
1: Oh, that seems to be something that happened earlier with some dude. Yeah. Imagine being the woman who invited him in to use her phone.
0: At least he turned himself in. That does not excuse the crime. I don't know. I kind of feel like the way this one was done, I feel like he was homeless and he needed somewhere to go. Or he needed supplies. It was He might have been in survival mode at this point.
1: Who knows? It looks like food was what would have been determining factor there, I'd always thought.
0: I'm guessing that would probably be in her backpack. But I really don't know if that is the case. But the fact that he turned himself in makes me wonder.
1: It happened, and then he immediately yeah. realized what had happened and turned himself
0: in. Yeah. And in that book that I read a long time ago that about the hiker, he mentioned that they start to run out of food and supplies that they need to survive. So I'm wondering if at least some of this isn't, like I said, they're in survival mode. And I guess they just feel like they can't ask these people for help.
1: I have no idea. Another
0: thing that the guy in that book mentioned is he had ran out of any proper, proper food. All he had left was ramen and he had been eating it for too long and was running out of it. and People would just walk by him and pretty much make fun and say, see, I told you they'd be out here begging.
1: Oh, yeah. They're
0: hungry. What do you expect? So maybe not saying that's it, but just something to think about.
1: Yeah, perhaps that is the case. Yeah. I don't know. I can't speculate, but I do not want to walk these trails for these kind of reasons. Yeah.
0: Joel Poulsen is next. I want to say this one's a fairly long one. It's the last one, but I want to say it's longer than the rest. This location was at Low Gap Shelter, Georgia. The date was in 1974. He was 26 years old, and the girl he was with, Margaret McFadden Harriet, or Harriet, was 17 years old. Oh, dear. In 1974, they met when Margaret started a job waiting tables at a restaurant called Capri's Italian in March in Five Points. Joel planned to hike the entire Appalachian Trail, and he was talking to Margaret about it, and he tried to get her to join him on his trip. She would just laugh it off because she just met him.
1: That makes sense. <laughs> yeah.
0: He kept trying and kept trying, and eventually she gave in and agreed to go with him.
1: Yeah, I'll go with you on this 2,000-mile walk. <laughs> Why not? I just met you, and this is crazy.
0: <laughs> Not all of them actually go the whole distance like they...
1: <laughs> I know that, but what is the sales pitch for this? Was he attractive
0: or something? I, I don't know. She was 17 years old.
1: Oh, and she just gave in. Sure, let's she go. She was
0: 17. He was 26. This is
1: why you don't have consent, minors.
0: <laughs> she knew her parents wouldn't have let her hike alone with this grown man.
1: I don't think you're going to convince them to walk 2,000 miles either. <laughs>
0: So she told them that she was going to be one of 15 students that Joel would lead on the hike. In mid-April in 1974, she introduced Joel to her parents. And I guess they agreed because on May 9th, 1974, Joel and Margaret started their hike. When they entered the Low Gap shelter, another hiker was already settled there. And Margaret started a conversation, asked his name, and he answered, Ralph. Ralph. Ralph was described as not looking like a hiker. He was wearing suede crepe-soled desert boots and didn't have proper hiking gear. The things he had with him, his supplies, he had a blanket, a leather jacket, and a canvas rucksack.
1: The leather jacket, no, I don't know. I'd never see. Oh, this is the '70s. I don't know what hikers had back then, though. Blanket and the canvas rucksack makes sense, but it ain't a backpack like a normal backpack. <laughs> yeah.
0: According to Margaret, Joel told her that he didn't know if he trusted Ralph. And the next morning, Joel woke her up and was urging her to continue their hike. And the reason this sounds so detailed and you're probably thinking, well, how do they know this? It's because Margaret lived. She told the story. Joel walked to a nearby stream to freshen up and then back towards the firing. And at this time, Ralph left the shelter. While Margaret was lacing up her boots, she heard a loud blast, and when she looked up, she saw Joel had fallen down near the firing. When Ralph walked back to the shelter, he was holding a revolver. Then he tied Margaret's hands behind her back with twine and took her to a narrow path that led to the woods. He stopped by a tree and made her sit on the ground and pulled her legs around the tree. Then he tied her feet together and blindfolded her before walking away.
1: Okay.
0: After 10 to 15 minutes, he returned and removed her blindfold, Then he untied her and led her back to the shelter. Joel told Margaret that he got rid of Joel and then he started to go through Joel's backpack and asked her if Joel had any money. She replied that he only had traveler's checks. Then he once again led her 200 yards away, tied her to a tree as he did before and blindfolded her. He told her he would leave a note in the shelter saying where she was. And he left her with water, a granola bar, and Joel's watch balanced on a log so she could read the time. And then he left again. Fifteen minutes later, he came back with the excuse that he was worried that no one would find her. This is
1: bizarre.
0: It is. He gave her the choice to stay as she was or to hike out of the mountains with him and reach the highway for help. She obviously chose the second choice. Otherwise, she was going to be stuck tied to a tree.
1: Or he might have just shot her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Margaret walked ahead as he walked behind her with a gun, and he threatened that if they ran into anybody and she said anything or did anything to signal that things were not okay, he would kill everyone.
1: What about the kids? They don't do they even know what's going on? What kids? Oh, yeah. It was just a lie. I forgot there isn't like a bunch of kids.
0: <laughs> what do you mean lie? What are you talking about kids? You
1: said. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. She lied to her parents. Oh, I thought she lied to him. Oh, no, she lied to her parents so that they would agree to let her go. (laughs) I was like, he's just marching all these kids (laughs) down the road. (laughs) No, that was a lie to her parents. Not far into the hike, two men with chainsaws walked up as they rested. And Margaret had spoken with at least one of them before while she was with Joel. But the men, they noticed that she was with a different man, but they didn't focus on it because they were in a hurry. Ralph told Margaret that he had escaped from jail and wanted to get back west, which meant he needed to move light and fast, which is why he killed Joel and stole his gear. When Ralph looked at the map in Joel's backpack, he realized that the next road crossing was less than three miles away. He decided not to let Margaret go as he planned when they reached the road. His new plan was to hitchhike to the nearest town and get a motel room. Then he said he'd let her go in the morning and repeated his threat that if she said anything, he would kill them all. After arriving at the road, a young woman pulled over and gave them a ride. because you know, 70s. Yep. Pick everybody up.
1: I bet it was in a Volkswagen van.
0: <laughs> Ralph told the driver that they had traveler's checks, but that they had both lost their IDs. And he proceeded to ask if she knew any place that would overlook that. She said that there was a place about nine miles south of Unicum Gap.
1: No idea.
0: I don't know. A restaurant called Worst House.
1: Sounds like the kind of place that would not bother checking IDs. Yeah.
0: When Margaret asked where they could stay, they were given directions to the Chattahoochee Motel. When they arrived at the motel, Ralph signed the register as Mr. and Mrs. Joel Polson. After buying food and beer at the next door restaurant, they went to the room and they watched an Elvis Presley movie while Ralph practiced Joel's signature so he could cash the traveler's checks. Margaret asked if she could take a shower, and he followed her to the bathroom to stop her from climbing out the window.
1: Not a dumb idea on his part.
0: No, but I can only imagine how she felt. The next morning, they went back to the restaurant to try to cash the traveler's checks, but the restaurant didn't have enough money in the register until later that day. So they went to a gas station where Ralph got $20, Then they returned to the restaurant for coffee, where Ralph again changed his plans to find a bus station in Cleveland. From there, he said he would let her go. They hitched a ride to Cleveland's trailway station and Margaret asked for a ticket to Columbia via Atlanta first. The man at the counter recommended that they go to a town to the southeast called Cornelia, which had a Greyhound station with buses that went directly east. So they hitched a ride to Cornelia. And after going to a nearby bank to cash more checks, they ate lunch at a nearby restaurant and returned to the bus station. Margaret bought a $10 ticket to Columbia and Ralph got a $3 ticket to Atlanta. Ralph's bus was due to arrive before Margaret's. It was running late, but it still ended up arriving before hers. It eventually arrived. Margaret waited for her bus to arrive alone. When her bus reached Columbia, it was dark, and she couldn't get a hold of her older brother on the phone, so she called the police and told them about Joel. They relayed the call from South Carolina to Georgia. Saturday, May 11th, authorities found Joel across the stream from the shelter covered with forest debris. His head was in a plastic bag that had been tied with a string around the head. Why? I don't know. It didn't say he was decapitated.
1: Maybe he hadn't died.
0: Huh. It's a possibility.
1: That's really unusual.
0: Yeah. His autopsy found that a 38 caliber bullet entered his skull behind his left ear. May 16th, Atlanta Police Department received a tip from a woman over the phone who said she had met a man matching the description of the Appalachian Trail murder suspect in the newspapers. She told them the location of the apartment where he lived and police obtained a search warrant, but when they arrived, he wasn't there. Inside, they found Joel's backpack, his clothes, his camping gear and a revolver with four live rounds and one empty cartridge. They obviously waited for Ralph to return, and when he did, they quickly arrested him. They identified him as Ralph Howard Fox, who was thirty one years old from Detroit, and he had been involved in several crimes in his younger years, such as throwing a party while his parents were away. That's not the crime. He kidnapped a girl from the party. At age seventeen, he was arrested for Car theft. age eighteen, he was arrested for breaking and entering. 1963, he went to New Mexico with a 15-year-old girl named Ann. He was arrested for statutory rape and contributing to delinquency of a minor.
1: This girl he was with wasn't raped,
0: though? It was statutory, where she was only 15 years old? No, no,
1: no, 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 no. The one he hiked with. Oh,
0: as far as I could tell, no. It said nothing about that. Which makes me wonder if that's why he kept changing the plan to let her go, is maybe he was going to but in the long run maybe he decided not to i don't know what was going on in this guy's head because
1: he might have a lot of people don't like to talk about it so maybe
0: he may have i don't know she was 17 and this girl was 15 so yeah it's a possibility the 15 year old happened in 1963 i don't know but a few minutes later he got married to the 15 year old and was her name march 1964 Ann was pregnant when Ralph forced a Detroit high school junior into his car at gunpoint. He drove her about 13 miles to a wooded lover's lane in Troy, Michigan. This man has problems. Yeah. A police officer came up to them as he was tying the girl's hands behind her back. He was given 15 years sentence, but only served a small portion before escaping from Michigan State Prison in Jackson. And this is when Ann divorced him.
1: That makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's a disgusting person. Mm.
0: October 1969, he was captured in Miami and brought back to Michigan State Prison. While out on parole, he broke into Ann's apartment and waited on her. When she walked in, he opened fire, but luckily he missed her. And then he decided to go to New Orleans, and then he traveled to Fort Lauderdale, and then he went on to Atlanta. Got around. Yeah. May 1974, just five days before killing Joel, he started his hike or travels on the Appalachian Trail. Margaret picked Ralph during a police lineup, and he admitted to owning the gun, which was later matched to the bullet taken from Joel's head. Mm -hmm. He confessed to stealing Joel's gear and to kidnapping Margaret. He said he had no intention of hurting her. I mean, he
1: doesn't seem, other than the rapes, he doesn't murder them, does he? I mean, he tried to murder the one that divorced him.
0: It's from what we know, anyway. Who knows what we don't know, but Joel's the only murder that I know of that I found.
1: And he was just in the way.
0: Mm -hmm. And he needed his gear. In October 1975, he was indicted. Is that how you say that? Indicted. He was indicted for murder and pled guilty to the charges. He was sentenced to life in Georgia State Prison. Okay. July 1991, he was given a one-month reprieve from prison to attend his brother's funeral in Michigan. He was then paroled. He moved to Lapeer County, Michigan, but failed to appear at a meeting with his parole officer about seven months later. And he didn't turn up at his job or home either. On May 5th, 1992, about a week later, the police were called to a muddy field in Lapeer. They recovered the nude body of 29-year-old Diane Good from Detroit. Remember what I said earlier? I'd forgotten this part. She had been strangled. Oh. It was discovered that a vehicle was stuck in the mud. While checking towing companies, it was discovered that Ralph was one of the drivers. A nationwide alert was issued by police.
1: He just cannot keep...
0: Out of trouble. Out of trouble. (laughs) Two days later, he was arrested in Skagit County. I think is how that's pronounced. (laughs) No idea. It's in Washington, as he tried to break into a parked car. That November, he was tried in Lapeer and denied the murder charges, but the jury declared him guilty.
1: Uh, Yeah.
0: June 2003, he was transferred to the state prison hospital where he, I want to say, stayed there a few months, but he died from lung cancer there.
1: He had been so naughty. Yeah. All his life.
0: But that's where I decided to end this one because I felt like that one by itself was long enough. And honestly, I probably could have went more into that one. But
1: yeah, I like to hear about the trail murders. But there's so much unknown about some of them because they are so secluded out there. Yeah. There's not much to know other than what you find and the ones who get caught and talk about it.
0: And like I said, there may be a part two to this because I have a list of other murders that has happened on the trail that I didn't get around to for this particular one. So there may be a part two. I don't know when, but could be.
1: All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. We've had a series about Appalachian creatures, hauntings, uh, cryptids, murders, things like that. Next month will be Halloween month. We'll try to keep it to the spooky and Halloween-y things, even if it's just history. It's always fun to cover things like that.
0: But we may also have bonus episodes that will come out on another day besides Wednesday, and that may not necessarily be part of the monthly topic theme, I guess.
1: Beth, how do we get a hold of you?
0: You can email me at horrifichistory.hauntings at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for future episodes or you would like to help me pronounce some of these names. Or if I get something wrong, you can respectfully let me know and it would be preferred if you had a link or a source that I could look at, but I will look into it and try to fix it on a future episode. I also have a Pinterest that I save certain pictures or information that I find interesting or inspiration for these topics that I talk about. It's horrific history hauntings, if you want to look in my saved pins,
1: We are part of the Gruesome Gaming Group podcasting network, so we have a few other podcasts. And if you want to get a hold of me or about any of our podcasts I have a Twitter the link is in the description the other podcast we have is Brother Knows Quest it's a podcast where I bring a random tabletop role playing game down to my sister and tell her about it and she decides if she likes it at the end we cover the settings and stuff like that, some of the basic rules. And we have Leveling Duo, which is a podcast where I do with my friend Dakota. And we talk about video games that we really enjoy. And I've been talking about Starfield the last couple of weeks. And he's been kind enough to let me steal one of his episodes. He talks about, well, lately we've talked about a lot of PlayStation 2 games, real good ones. We have a website for the podcast. If you want to donate or anything, you can go there or find all of our other podcasts at that link in the description. And we also have a link in the description to our YouTube channel if you are not already on the YouTube channel.
0: Most of this information I got from www.strangeoutdoors.com.
1: I'll put the link to that in the descriptions as well. If you want to review us on YouTube, that is cool. Leave us a like, subscribe if you want to find more episodes like this. And if you're on a podcast app and it lets you review us, that'd be great too. If you want to donate, the website will have a link next to each podcast or on the three dots next to the podcast you click on it and it say donate and you can donate to us that'd be nice uh, or find a podcast about something you like and use the affiliate link in the description all those things will help us i've been Rami, and i'm beth thank you for listening to H. goodbye